It is the last Friday of the month, the last Friday of the year. This is a time when many shows look back at the segments that have already aired over the past 12 months. It's nice exercise, and it saves labor during the holiday week. But we are not many shows. If we had a best of show today, you would miss the chance to visit the Krogan Meat Market in Krogan, New York, and meet the woman who is now the fourth generation of her family to own the shop that makes the North Country's iconic sausage, Krogan Bologna. And if we were reruns today, you wouldn't get to hear about the collaboration between Joe Grimshaw, a graphic designer and songwriter from Champlain, and Drake Jensen, a remarkable country musician outside Ottawa, and hear the story of their Christmas song. I'm Mitch Tyke. It is an all-new Northwards for the last Friday in December, coming to you next on NCPR North Country Public Radio. This is Northwards, the monthly interview show coming to you from North Country Public Radio. I'm Mitch Tyke. I have lived in various corners of the country. Some of them are known for their unique contributions to cuisine. Most of them are not. There was a lot that was good about living in Flagstaff, Arizona, but it was also the kind of place where the residents voted Olive Garden as the best Italian restaurant. When I moved away from Rochester, Minnesota, I missed the medical care of the Mayo Clinic, but there has never been a time I have been jonesing for the local food specialties. I have also never said jonesing out loud until just now. But I also lived in Milwaukee, home to cheese, to beer, and to sausages of all kinds. I mean, the baseball team is named for the beer industry, and it hosts a sausage mascot race in the sixth inning of every home game. And then there is the North Country. Maybe you've had the conversation about what unique foods you can find here. The pizza roll sometimes comes up, but really it is a subset of the calzone. And if you have had one, you are probably taking a statin drug at this point. But there is at least one delicacy that's known region-wide and finds its way onto the holiday plates and New Year's tables of expatriate North Countryites around the country. It's what brought me to Lewis County on a recent snowy morning to meet. My name is Blaine Campney, and I'm the fourth generation owner, operator of the Krogan Meat Market. And then we make the famous Krogan bologna that everybody all across the North Country knows about. Blaine Campany met us at the center of the Krogan Bologna universe to talk about running an iconic business, about growing up around a meat market, about why it is called Krogan bologna when it is clearly a smoked sausage, Blaine Campany, thanks for having us here. Well, thanks for coming, because you're my first podcast I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it won't be too terrifying. (laughs) Um, You have been been the owner and in charge of this place for about 10 years, is that right? Yes, yep. 2012 is when I really decided, okay, this is it, we're we're doing it, so... So, you know, I, 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 in my day job, I'm the, the station manager at North Country Public Radio. I remember 2019, I, I had worked here in the, in the 90s, and I came back to be the, the manager. And I remember my first day and, like, walking in the first day that I was in charge and telling the staff that my biggest goal was to not screw it up. <laughs> uh, do you remember you because you were what 24 when you took yeah. over this business yes. what yep. was your first day I mean you had grown up around the business yeah, what yeah. was the first day like for you 
Um, I don't even remember it because I think it just like blended together because, you know, as a child we'd come and we'd like wash tubs, you know, and we'd help out. So it really wasn't any different. And then, you know, through college I'd come back and I'd help dad. So it was kind of like I've already worked here. And, you know, the transition when I started, we kind of like didn't have any like long-term employees yet. So it was really kind of... I just kind of walked into it and it was fine and nobody was used to like a hierarchy or anything like that. So it was easy for me to kind of just come in and start kind of directing. You, you would you would come back from college and work here. When, when did you decide that like you wanted to take over the family business? Probably when I went to college. I hated school. Um, I was just not good at school. My sister was like the brainiac. She was all that. And then I was just kind of like, I'm better with my hands. I'm better like working. And I remember going to college. I hated every second of it. And then I think I actually, I went to SUNY Brockport, which the school was fine. It was just, I'm not a school person. And I would go down there for three days and then I would drive home every single week and I'd be here more than I was down there. And my mom was like, why are you even going to college? (laughs) But they told me I had to finish. So I was like, okay, I just have to get through it. And then, uh, yeah, and then come back here. And I think at that point I was like, okay, I just was naturally good at this. And I was like, okay, I think... I, this is what I want to like ex- see what I can do with it and so yeah I took over so growing up here you were never thinking that oh my god I want to get as far away from meat as I can no I always kind of enjoyed it I always um I don't know it was kind of like special to me I never looked at it like a huge burden uh, my parents definitely were not encouraging me to take over the business at all <laughs> they were trying to discourage me they were like no you have to go to college and find out what you really want to do because you don't want to do this and I'm like mm, oh, I think I do <laughs> stubborn (laughs) and 10 years later no regrets no no I I don't know what else I would do I think if I did anything else I would definitely still probably own something myself um I really I think I have like the ADHD so it's very kind of hard for me to sit and do the same thing and I do like being able to wear all of the hats and just jump around kind of my days I have a like a little bit of a schedule but mostly I'm like am I gonna do marketing today am I gonna do the social media you know maybe I'll do packaging today so I just get to do whatever I want <laughs> well yeah I, I was wondering about you. you were you were taking me before we before we started you took me on a tour of the place and it seems like you know every part of this operation relatively well um considering like you had grown up around it it was your dad running it before and before that it was your grandfather and before that it was your great grandfather how do you compare like what you do as the head honcho here uh, versus what you grew up seeing them do you know I kind of started at the bottom right we washed tubs as kids and so I've done every single job here and you know my dad always kind of taught me it was important to be able to do everything because you know it's not guaranteed we're small enough business it's like I'm, I'm maybe I won't have employees you know tomorrow and there's been times I've only had one guy and so you really had to be able to do everything and and so I saw my dad doing that uh, probably the main difference would be like social media and the, just the way you promote the business is a lot different today than it would have been like he never did any of that he's like I don't know <laughs> like, what you're doing but yeah and trying to like put yourself out there I mean I do struggle like I'm somebody who kind of like to be private and so it is a little difficult for me to like force myself onto like Facebook but people want that and they want to like you know have that connection and I understand that Um, because it's like that's what I'm drawn to on social media and so yeah that's the probably the main difference is just how how you put yourself out there well, and, and so, I mean, we're, we're in this building that has been the meat market for uh, 
a century? Yes. Uh huh. Um, and you know, half of it was a house, and my grandfather lived here. And so, again, you know, if it's late at night, um, I said in October I should do like a ghost hunt thing because it is so <laughs> creepy. It's like even when I'm working late, I'm like, Grandpa. <laughs> To say nothing of the fact that there used to be a slaughterhouse yes. within this building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. There's probably a lot of souls <laughs> out there. Delicious souls, but <laughs> I don't mind them. They can, they can be here. But yeah, I don't do the slaughter anymore. Uh, we mostly focus on just the ready-to-eat products, so I don't um, like cross-contaminate or do anything like that. Do you feel like when you took over this, I mean, you took over the business in, in 2012, you said, which was kind of like partway through the way the, the that e-commerce is kind of revolutionizing how everything gets done. Was it your mission to kind of bring the Krogan meat market into the 21st century? Yeah, I think so. I think you just had to, to, you know, stay relevant and stay on top of stuff. Um, we... It was so funny. Dad tried to get out of the mail order business <laughs> because it's so like detail oriented and tedious. And, you know, just to do one package takes a long time. And, you know, he was like, oh, I would go, it was one year. I almost got it shut down. <laughs> and then mom just kept sending the packages. And so I was like, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. Yeah, we definitely pushed the e-commerce. It's really big at Christmas time. Everybody wants to send, you know, that little like taste of home you know all the way to california or arizona or somewhere and so yeah we make it happen the taste of home i mean that's like this is this is like krogan baloney's thing there, there yeah. are not that many foods that people associate with the north country it's it's got to be a big deal for you to to maintain like one of the iconic things about living here yeah, I think I feel kind of there's like a big responsibility there to like, you know, make it the same way it's been made, give people the, that same memory. And uh, I think that's the main reason I'm drawn to like this business is because I'm a foodie and I love like when you go out to a meal with a friend and you're like, you have to try this because it's like you get to experience the same exact emotional feeling at the same exact time as somebody else. And I, I like I want to give that to people like here, try this and uh, and kind of see them uh, enjoy it. So, yeah, that uh, I do feel <laughs> like uh, I got to uphold <laughs> Blaine Campany is the fourth generation owner operator of the Krogan Meat Market. We'll take a quick break now and then hear more of our interview with her in just a moment on NCPR North Country Public Radio. Support for Northwards on NCPR comes from Claxton Hepburn Medical Center and its surgical services team performing robotic, general, and minimally invasive procedures. ClaxtonHepburn.org. And from The Book Nook, an independent bookstore located on Broadway in Saranac Lake, on Facebook at SL Book Nook. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio. More of Northwards Now, I'm Mitch Tyke, and more of our interview with Blaine Campany, the fourth generation owner of the Krogan Meat Market, which makes the iconic Krogan bologna. So let's talk about the history of Krogan bologna because, you know, you go to your grocery store meat counter and you get bologna and yeah. it is, you know, it's Oscar Mayer and it's nothing like Krogan bologna. Uh -huh. So so what's the history of this stuff? Yeah, so this is actually a, a recipe that came over with a Swiss immigrant named Fred Hunziker. And this is like 1880s. And he kind of, I think uh, people think of like the big bologna, um, but really it's more like a summer sausage 
and I'm not really quite sure where the baloney <laughs> kind of came in, uh, the name of it. Uh, I was told that Fred used to make, because Krogan, the town we're in, it used to be a lumber town. And there was a ton of lumber camps, lumberjacks uh, all over the place. And he would make the baloney and take a horse and deliver it to these lumber camps. And it apparently was the lumberjacks that were like, here comes the Krogan baloney. And they like dubbed it. And now it's, it is Krogan baloney. Uh, but yeah, so Fred, he ended up creating the meat market. We say 1888 is our founding date. We might actually be older than that. Uh, he didn't have children of his own. So he ended up taking in his orphaned uh, nephew, Carl News. Plager, and then he ended up taking over the business next with my great-grandfather and that's where my family comes in so my great-grandfather Elmer company he took over and then uh, when he uh, retired he sold his share of the business to his two sons my grandfather John Gilbert and Butch company and then they were in business with Carl Newsplager. Of course, Carl was old at this point so he retired first then Butch retired and it was just my grandfather to my father and to me and then and the the oldest member of this that that you remember is your grandfather yes yep yep i don't have a memory of my great-grandfather so you go to the the krogan meat market website and there is this amazingly detailed timeline of this business i guess this is a two-part question one like is there like an archive someplace that you maintain just to have access to all that information? And why was it important for you to put that up there? So growing up, my mom, she's super into genealogy. She like, we laugh because you know, she's the person that goes like, who do you belong to? And who do you, the, like, she's got to figure you like all out and she knows like everybody. So, you know, kind of growing up with her, like putting like a big importance, you know, and just really reiterating like how important it is to know like kind of where you came from. I think it just kind of like that was like normal to me. It's kind of weird to meet people and then be like, you don't know like where you come from, like where you're, who you're related to and all this stuff. And um, yeah, so she really kind of spearheaded that. And I was like, you know, I'm always telling people about it and the timeline and all that. So I was like, I might as well just put it up there, you know, in case people are curious as to like, you know, who we are, where we came from, you know, why it's special. And so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, my mom definitely hoards, um, like anything history. (laughs) So I think we have a record room and, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I go through and I think it's like really cool to see like the financial records of like, you know, 19, you know, 50. uh, Um, and so I try to save stuff like that. And mom definitely like, she's always on the internet looking at like pictures and, you know, buying stuff off eBay and doing anything that like might be, you know, related to Krogan and all of that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it. I mean, it's one part company history, but it's really like, uh, it's really like a family tree. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my little family tree i would say so <laughs> well and you got pictures of them up over the yes. meat counter yeah yep and that kind of helps because i was like i can't take the pictures out like that's a, that's too big of a thing so <laughs> i'm trying to find a place now where i can get them you know like ai enhanced you know so i could blow them up i was like it'd be really cool to have like a life-size like wall sticker or something of like grandpa i don't know maybe that's weird <laughs> but to like show people who they were but so growing up, does Krogan baloney show up at every family gathering that you yes. have? Yes. I should also just carry a cooler with me wherever I go because people are like, you didn't bring it. And I'm like, oh, I'm shamed. So yeah, I have to uh, remember to bring it everywhere I go. 
Well, and what makes it unique? I mean, besides the fact that it, it came from this this Swiss recipe and yeah. it, like it's, you know, it's not like other, not like every other summer sausage on the market. And obviously you have a secret recipe, I am sure. But like, how do you describe when somebody asks you, you know, um, maybe what's the deal with Krogan bologna? I think it's just like a really good hors d'oeuvre. It's like the simple thing. It's already ready to go. And it's just, honestly, it's just really good. It's delicious. <laughs> like, um, I have yet to really, and you know, I'm, it made me really picky. I'm a very like picky person when it comes to my meat now. And you know, I, I the quality is probably like way higher. Uh, I think it's way higher than people actually know. I think everybody's heard like bologna jokes about what bologna is actually made out of um but i'm throwing in like choice top round it's choice I, you know that was kind of the one thing i focused on was like the quality you know if you put quality in it from the beginning you're gonna get a quality product at the end and so yeah um fat content is super important uh, making any sausage and so fat content comes kind of in those higher grade meats so yeah mostly the meat that's going into this bologna is choice grade which is the second highest tier so um yeah i think the quality and uh if i don't want it if i don't want to eat it it's not going into my bologna so i want to be able to pick whatever it is in my store off the shelf and be like proud of it and so yeah i think the quality is probably what makes it very unique and dumb question, but as sausage, this is this is all beef, uh, and pork, and pork. Okay, mm-hmm. we do but, have but, some sausages that are just pork, but okay. Um, and you're not just making the the Krogan bologna. You have a whole meat market here as well. How involved do you get in the rest of the the meat business? Um, pretty much everything. Here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like the cutting, all of that. Um, yeah, I produce it. I work with the guys. Um. Yeah, so I'm there pretty much every single day. Um, I do deliveries. Uh, I <laughs> like. There's really nothing here I don't do. You know, obviously I do all the books. I'm the HR person. If there's any portion of a business, you know, that you participate in, like I do every single one of those jobs. <laughs> and uh, it it does get kind of hard with like time. Like, okay, I have to really designate. Like, okay, what am I gonna do like today? Like, when am I doing the books? When am I doing this? Um, and there's a lot of like late nights too, you know, um, all the food safety stuff. Like, you know, I have to write all of those HACCP plans. I do all that myself. Um, so how hard was that stuff to learn? Um, you know, I went down to Cornell and there was like a course they did and, uh, actually they did a fantastic job of kind of explaining everything before I did that. I was like, so over my head, I had no idea. I just didn't even understand the concepts, but, um, yeah, so I went and I, I got certified in that. And then after that it was pretty easy. So as you were taking over the business, was there any advice that your dad gave you? Or do you remember anything that your grandfather said about this business that you still kind of keep in your mind when you come to work? Hmm. I feel like there's like a, a ton of little things he says. Oh gosh. I'm trying to think of like what maybe like the, I think probably just like, you know, you can run the business or you can let the business run you, which is very, um, true like it will you can let it just like run you ragged so you do have to kind of manage yourself and your your life a little bit more so <laughs> than if you just kind of you can't really separate from it uh you take the business home with you so definitely um just to be in control and make sure you're at the home <laughs> you seem pretty happy though i am yeah I, I i can't imagine doing anything else i think you know 
I'm trying to think of like another business. I always think like, oh, well, maybe a different business, you know, would be easier. But I go, you know, one of my favorite quotes is like different is different, no better or worse. And so, you know what, it could, it'll be something else, but there'll be other problems that I don't have, you know? And so I just try to be really like grateful and that makes you very happy because you realize what you have in front of you. Is there one part of this that is more fun than the others to you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I really like act, the actual process of like making the bologna, the sausage. Um, that's kind of where I, en I enjoy myself the most, like creating, um, I absolutely hate doing all the bookwork. <laughs> uh, social media is not like very natural to me. So like, I don't really, you know, I have to force myself to do that. But I, if I had like, if I could pick, I would probably just be, you know, like cutting meat and making sausage. <laughs> For somebody who's so involved in the, in the making of the stuff, yeah. um, do you, are, are you thinking along the lines of like innovation? Like what's like the next thing? Thing. I mean, you know, obviously you've got to protect the, the yeah. Krogan bologna brand itself, yes. but are you thinking about new things that you could be doing? There's a, like a whole part of my job is also just trying to like maintain like this building because the building is very old. And so, you know, this year we did like a big project. I was like, okay, we have to replace like all the walls in the cutting room and the processing room, you know, and these are big like undertakings. Um, so I do that, you know, I'm like, okay, I have to kind of balance like what am I, what project is this year's project? Is it like renovation? Is it like, you know, redoing the driveway? Are we creating a new product? Like what is it going to be? And, you know, we did, so the main products, the Krogan bologna, the smoked sausage, they've been here for years and uh since the beginning those two products and then we expanded that and i came out with the krogan bologna the jalapeno cheddar flavor and uh, we also do krogan bologna grillers which are in a hot dog casing with cheese and then um, we also came out with a maple sausage so these were all like new things uh that i kind of came up with and you know they're very successful the maple sausage this year has like finally it always takes like a couple years and then it like blows up so kind of like the jalapeno cheddar but um, yeah, so I did those and now I'm kind of like, okay, well, like how much more do we want to do? I kind of have to balance because we are so small, like people think we're like huge and we're just not a big company. <laughs> we're not a big factory. Uh, it's a real mom and pop shop. Uh, so I kind of have to balance like how much I can actually do, you know, with what I have and the, the resources I have and stuff. And, and I have four employees right now, but that's like the most I've ever had. So Four employees, including your dad, or uh... no, no. I mean, we finally got him to like retire, kind of, sorta. But you see, I go, Dad. I call him on the phone. Uh, this is broken. Can you come in and help me? But he's always available. So there are not a lot of um, things that have the the village of Krogan name attached to them. What do you think this meat market and Krogan bologna in general means to this place that you're from? I mean, I hope it like <laughs> means something to that, like the people that live here. I hope they, you know, I'm making them proud. Um, but yeah, it's actually really unique because we have the trademark Krogan and you're not typically allowed to trademark places. Um, so everybody could be Adirondack, whatever. Um, but because we've been here so long, they actually granted us like the Krogan trademark. So, and so I think that is really cool. So then, yeah, again, that's just, you know, add, add some more weight to the shoulder. There. <laughs> I got to carry it, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, I think, you know, it's nice that 
you can travel. I went to Jamaica and I was like, oh, you know, I'm from this place. You've probably never heard of it. It's Krogan. And this person was like, oh my God, yeah, I know Krogan. And I was like, oh really? I go, oh, well that's me. Yep. <laughs> I'm the baloney girl. Yep. And that's, that's my company. So it's funny like when you're traveling around and then people do recognize the name. Are there imitators out there? I think people try. <laughs> I do. It's so, it kind of like makes me laugh. Uh, I'll be on the internet and Facebook or whatnot, and people will be like, I have this recipe from my great something, you know, so-and-so, and it's the original recipe and this and that, and I just read it, and I chuckle, and I think, yep, keep making it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You just keep going. So it makes me laugh. So you travel. Have, have you been to Switzerland? I haven't. It's on, the, it's on the bucket list. I've done quite a bit of traveling recently, but have not made it there so I just got back I did Israel Jordan and Egypt so and I said wow with everything going on I was like I'm glad I got that in <laughs> yeah I was just wondering if you had been uh, if you had like gone back to the the homeland to see if uh if there are other sausages that that remind you of this I know I that's actually like a, a trip I want to take but every trip like that kind of involved Switzerland it wasn't like I want to go and like be there for like a while and be able to really dive in. I don't want to have to like just hit it on one day trip and you know go somewhere else in Europe. So, so you're shipping this, uh, you're shipping stuff like all around the country, uh, and you say you don't like to, but but Hawaii and Alaska too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, there must be moving or memorable or just like mail that you get from people that reminds you why you do this. Yes, I think those are like. The best, it's you know, it's really funny is because there's a section on the on the website where you can leave a gift message, you know, and we'll put it in the box, you know, if you're sending a gift, and people will write things and they're for us, and it's so because Kylie, uh, she'll be the one on the phone this season and she'll be the one taking orders, but she'll always be like writing it down on a gift card and be like, oh wait, this is a message for us. They say like you know, and I'm like, oh okay, and so yeah. What do they say? Uh, they're just like, hey guys, you know, and sometimes I don't know who everybody is and I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but they know me and I'm like going to brainstorm. But yeah, they'll just say hi and like, thanks. And you know, this reminds me of home. A lot of like the, you know, taste of home comments. Um, probably the more so is like when you're actually talking on the phone because a lot of the older generation, they don't want to use a computer. So when they call you, call in, they're going to tell you like the whole story of like where they started eating Krogan bologna, you know, and it's like years and years. And it's really cool when people are like, I remember this from my grandfather and now I live away and I want to have that for Christmas. I like the, the generational ones where you're like, okay, this is like overlapped uh, and they can connect, you know, with like their grandparents or something on this level with food. It's like a purpose, I guess. It gives me a purpose to, and, and I get, you know, this probably doesn't pay as much <laughs> as it should. So um, yeah, it's uh, to give me that, I'll take it. It's the fame, right? Yeah, it's just the fame, yeah. I'm you're like a, a Krogan celebrity. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. <laughs> I'm like, try not to. Uh, the Johnny Spisano came by and he put me on his live and I was like, oh no. I was like, oh, I don't like to be in front of the camera, but but yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for the baloney. <laughs> See, aren't you grateful to be on a podcast now? Yeah, yeah. at least there's not like the camera in my face. <laughs> oh. So, you know, what keeps you up at night? Um, everything. Anxiety. <laughs> They're like, what gets you out of the bed in the morning? I'm like, anxiety. I have so much to do. Um, but, you know, it, like, gives me, like, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm proud of what I built. 
Um, and again, you know, I like to make people happy and I feel like this is a way I can do that and, uh, and kind of honor, you know, the ones that came before me too. I think probably they had a lot tougher job, uh, you know, during COVID when COVID hit us, I, for one, I didn't, I thought we'd have to shut down, but then we were essential. So we stayed open, but I really gave me strength thinking like, oh my gosh, like, you know, everything my great grandfather went through and, and wars and this. I mean, this is like nothing. Okay, I'll do this. I can, I can, it'll be fine. But um, yeah, so I think that uh, I have a ton of purpose here and uh, I want to make people proud. Blaine Campany, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you uh, uh, through the through the busy season into the yeah. future. Yeah, Christmas is our busiest season. Um, so we'll probably do like 30,000 pounds in one month. So yeah. <laughs> do you take time off after that? Um, you know, it does, we do have a slow season after that. So I'm always like, okay, you got to make hay when the sun shines. So we are going to go really hard and then we can take a break later. So, yep. Blaine Campany is the fourth generation owner and operator of the Krogan Meat Market in Krogan, New York, where they make Krogan bologna and send it out into the world. I wish I could share some with you through your radio or your computer or your mobile device, but you'll have to settle for pictures of how the sausage is made at ncpr.org slash northwards. One more break and then a conversation with graphic designer and occasional songwriter Joe Grimshaw and the guy who turned his Christmas song into an international hit country musician Drake Jensen. This is Northwards from NCPR. NCPR's Northwards gets support from the Wild Center in Tupper Lake, now accepting donated clothing from North Country farmers and agriculturalists for a new art installation from Brenda Baker coming in 2024. Your business or organization can support NCPR and Northwards in 2024. Learn about sponsorship opportunities by emailing underwriting at ncpr.org. It is Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke, and I hope you don't mind if I get a little heavy for a second. This is the holiday season, and I hope I and we all have the chance to make some nice memories this year and either honor some long-standing traditions or maybe make some new ones. But this is also the time of year when a lot of us think back on some times in our past. I'm not just talking about the ghosts of Christmas's past, but that time that's frozen in our mind when our relatives or our friends were the people we thought them to be. Maybe your grandparents are still there, or your parents, or maybe it's your kids in their ideal ages. Just those fleeting images you remember fondly or wistfully that you wish you could bottle up for a day when you need them the most. I might be wrong, but I feel like we all have those frozen-in-time images in our respective psyches. Certainly, I think our two guests on this segment would agree. Drake Jensen is an independent country musician who lives in rural Quebec, north of Ottawa. Joe Grimshaw is a graphic artist who lives in Champlain, but he's not just a visual artist. He is also an amateur songwriter, or was an amateur songwriter. That amateur status changed when Drake Jensen recorded a Christmas song Grimshaw wrote called Christmas in My Heart. The song has become something of a hit in Canada. We'll hear some of it in just a few minutes. But first, the story of how it came to be. Joe Grimshaw, Drake Jensen, so glad to meet both of you. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. It is nice to be here. Thanks very much for having us, Mitch. Yeah, thrilled to talk with uh, with both of you. Um I want to start with a question for Joe Grimshaw, because um, you have been working with Drake Jensen here for the better part of a decade, I guess, about seven or eight years. 
Um, but you've also worked with a really interesting variety of other musicians. How does a graphic designer in the little town of Champlain, New York, end up working not just with Drake Jensen, but also with Tiffany and Exposé and others? Well, there's a lot of luck involved, and that's that's uh, that's basically what did it for me. I had a friend um, who I met through a music magazine called Goldmine, which is produced around the country, and his name was Sean Winstein, and he was a music journalist. So he would interview celebrities who would come. He lived in Pennsylvania, in Orwigsburg, Pennsylvania, um, which is like a little tiny town, almost like Champlain. <laughs> but he um, he got to know people of no, like Stacey Q, Tiffany, Expose, when they would come through town doing gigs. And um, he got to know them well. And he was also on, not only was he a journalist, but he was also a songwriter. So he would write songs, do demos, and he would he would use me to do the artwork for the covers, for promotional things like posters and things like that. So it just fell into my lap basically it was just a lot of luck involved but it was also i mean i guess he wouldn't have used me if he didn't like what i did what i had done <laughs> um so one of the first things i did was uh, a cover for an artist named uh, kim esty who was based in toronto when the artist that he worked with got to see what i did you know saw the quality of the artwork i did they they would come back and use me again and again so I was just, you know, I'm proud and humbled that I was able to do such, you know, work with such luminaries from a little town like Champlain. It was kind (laughs) of unheard of, but it was just one of those things that just worked out. Well, yeah, so let's bring Drake Jensen into this. And um, what connected you with Joe in the first place? A mutual friend on on a chat site. Of course, these days, you know, so much happens online. And, you know, I, I always tell independent musicians and they always ask, you know, how do I start? And. I mean, networking is a huge thing. Always tell people what you're doing because you never know who you're talking to. So I've been, you know, talking to a friend of mine for years online. And it was Ron Weeks, I think, Joe, that connected us. And I think Ron knew Joe and knew me. Interestingly enough, my graphic designer had died a ways back and uh, I needed a new graphic designer. And Joe, we started talking and we became like, I think we're really beyond business partners i think we're really good friends now um and that's how it happened so you know i think it's really important that people are really put themselves out there and even use the online forum for as bad as it can be sometimes (laughs) uh, to network and you'll get like great connections like we did well and of course um as an independent musician you really have to be able to do everything and so finding the right graphic designer is not something that you could just turn over to your record label no, and, and I mean, and I have a very distinct vision about how I like things to look. I mean, from the very beginning, I've been like professionally doing this for like 20 years, I think now, um, over the course of the first 10 years were here and there because the funds were always tough to come by and recording was very expensive back when I first started. You know, a song would cost $1,200 back in 1995. So, you know, so that's an immense amount of money. So, it, you know, few and far between, but as technology got better and I recorded my first record, um, it, it became a, a lot easier. But I've always had a very distinct vision of how I should sound and how I should look. And I think, you know, between Joe and I, when we work together, we always come up with something that's, that's you know, really palatable for me. And, and, and as an independent, that's the one thing, like you say, uh, 
that you are the final kind of decision maker before the world gets to see it. So I think that's always been the great part of our relationship together, uh, Joe, was the fact that we work together so well. Well, you know, I take I take uh, my job very seriously, and I I know that clients have a vision, and they know what they want. Sometimes it's hard to pin that down. I try to do the best I can to not only meet expectations but exceed them. You know, I I try to go above and beyond because I realize how important a visual image is to to an artist. I mean, it's the first thing people see. People see, you know. You're the cover of your CD before they hear the music. Well, they so. say people eat people eat with their eyes. Exactly. Well, exactly. yeah, I, I wanna I wanna talk with both of you in a minute about the the Christmas song that brings us all together here. But I am interested in that uh, kind of collaborative process. Uh, and the the importance of the design because I mean I'm old enough and I, I hazard to guess that both of you are old enough to to remember the days of flipping through LPs or cassettes or or later CDs in the record store and I mean I know I would occasionally buy one just because I liked the cover art and having really no idea what it sounded like. Um, how big a deal is graphic design today when we are now listening to so much of our music on Spotify or Apple or Bandcamp or or, or whatever. I think visual image is more important than ever because you're now with, you know, people being able to make music in their basements or in their home studios, there's a lot more competition out there and people are just, they're fighting to get your attention. So you have to do something that kind of hits people over the head. Yeah. And like, as I try to do is I, yeah, I don't try to be in, I don't try to sensationalize what I do, but I do try to do the best I can with the image and make it as professional and as, eye-catching eye as possible. Yeah, and I think for me, I'm really happy that we had a great cover because Christmas in My Heart ended up next to Dolly Parton's Rockstar in Apple Music's uh, release radar. So I was kind of happy when I seen, oh, uh, oh, look, we're next to Dolly. Thank God we have a great cover for this one. No, but it just goes to show you, right? So everybody's looking at Dolly. So not necessarily everybody's looking at us, but always in popular and even in country music i find a, a lot of country music country musicians kind of a little boring to be very honest and you know they're wearing t-shirts and ripped up jeans and you know you've paid 300 dollars to go see these people and the image is just not quite there i i've always kind of been very very careful to craft a very interesting looking image and that's you know I, and i'm older so I, i'm even more aware of it um because there's so much ageism and I think having that, like that graphic that makes you buy, if you have something that makes you buy a record before you really know the music, then you got something special. And hopefully to God that the music is just as good as the cover. Well, and I will say uh, you have a way better beard than Dolly. Well, you know, <laughs> Dolly doesn't give me much beard competition. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and I'm quite glad, but Dolly's got much better hair and <laughs> other body appendages than I have. So, I, you know, I, I got to give it to Dolly. You know, it was really nice to land next to her in Apple Music. A lot of people went, wow, you guys are like next to Dolly. I'm like, yeah, I'm like thrilled. Well, and you think about it, like when, you know, talking about like when you would go through the, the LPs in the record store or whatever, uh, the person that you would have been next to is whoever alphabetically came right after or before you. And yeah. now you're in a position where you really can end up next to Dolly because Apple decided it or, or Apple's algorithm decided it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's face it, ABBA always had the advantage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This week, I don't know whether uh, that you know or not, but um, this week we have the number one independent country song in Canada with this song. Spectacular news. Uh, well, I mean, so yeah, let's we, let's talk about the evolution of the song because we've been talking about the the cover art this whole time, and and we haven't even talked about the the song itself. Um, uh, talk about how this evolved and how the how the collaboration, considering the two of you had only worked together when it came to uh, when it came to graphics before. How did uh, how did songwriting become part of the collaboration between the two of you? Yeah, I've been songwriting for the better part of 30 years. Most of what I've done is just basically for my own benefit as a hobby. It wasn't until I met Drake until I, you know, that I realized, hey, maybe I could get one of these songs actually recorded. And, you know, maybe they could actually end up, you know, like a finished song. About three years ago, Drake mentioned something about doing another Christmas album or, or doing a song, actually. And I know he had done a song uh, previously, and I thought, hey, maybe that would be a good opportunity for me to write something. So I went to work and came up with uh, a song probably about a week, week and a half later. And I showed it to Drake and Drake seemed to really like it. But, um, you know, that was the year of COVID. That was 2020. So everything kind of got pushed to the back burner and we didn't really end up recording it until this year. I, I had mentioned to Drake like late summer, early fall. It's like, what do you think? Do you, do you think we should put this out this year? And Drake was kind of like, yeah, let's go for it. And then I took it and, you know, I said to Joe, well, the way I am with songs is like, I, if somebody's written most of it themselves as a vocalist and an artist myself, I, I, there's always changes that are going to happen. And Joe had written like basically 95% of what still is intact in that song. And I changed some lyrics to make a few things a little bit more relatable as far as the video went, too, because we produced a video for it um, and changed the melody a bit to suit my voice because I, you know, I just sing a certain way. So I changed a few things and, you know, inevitably got a bit of a co-write on it because of that. But, you know, today there's so many people involved in songs. I mean... If you look at one of Lady Antebellum's songs, I think it's called Champagne Nights. There was 13 <laughs> writers on that song. Joe and I have been working together. I have another song that Joe and I wrote with another artist in Ontario named Cadence Grace. She's in a band called Runaway Angel. And I've been writing with her. And then Joe and I wrote lyrics together. And then I took it to her and we wrote music for it. So there's been a lot of this happening. So it's it's a very kind of, you know, musically incestuous kind of thing that's been mm -hmm. going on. The song had a life in the studio. It took almost three and a half months to get it to its finality. Drake uh, Drake did really great production and uh, vocal talents were amazing. And that just drove the song further than I thought it would. I mean, when you listen to the demo, I have the demo, the original demo, which basically is instrumental. Um, and then hearing what Drake did, I mean, it just, you know, Put it over the top as far as i'm concerned talk, talk about the vision for this video the video is this kind of interesting um hybrid of nostalgia and kind of sepia tone looks into the past and um over the top tongue-in-cheek i reckon um talk, talk about the vision and how it affects what uh, what you ended up doing with the song so my brother-in-law is a technology guy He's always got a camera in his hand at every family function. And since me and my husband have been together, what's well, been 17 years now we've been together, 
from the very first Christmas we were together. That's our first Christmas in that video. When we recorded the song, he said, I've got the perfect idea for a video. He said, why don't we decorate my house? He said, because it needs to be decorated. He said, you know, because inevitably that's my husband's sister's husband. So it's a family (laughs) affair. So everything you see in the video is a family thing. And he said, I have footage from like 30 years ago. He said, and let's let's make a, a time capsule and let's show our family evolution you know and the bass player even in the bass player in the video he's like five years old in some of those clips and that that's my nephew and so it really is this really strong nostalgia we had a family get together the night we released it on youtube and we all watched it together and everybody was crying because there was just there was just so much memory in the whole thing and the song itself the way the song is is written and the way that so Joe put so much into this and I, I know like there's a lot of songwriters out there that work in Nashville and they all pack right and you know they're just turning out commercial stuff all the time but when a song like this comes along that's so special right that that creates this as soon as you listen to it from the very first couple of lines it pulls you in and, and it makes you go back it suddenly becomes transformative for you window this December night So we're softly falling from above The memories of the seasons pass flood through my mind Filling it with merriment and love I remember Christmas time when I That's what's so special about this song. I think it's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever recorded. So to create like a really great visual for this, we we said, well, let's make it a little campy with the family stuff and the modern stuff. And we're all doing our la-la-las and our hands are in the air and we're having fun. But then there's this really nostalgic thing that, you know, the family is, is it, we're all aging, you know, and and we see our family through the years and it was really special for us. And I think what's so special for everybody else is they put themselves in the same situation every time they listen to it. And the reaction I've had, I've performed it live quite a bit recently, and everybody's having the same reaction. People are crying when they're listening to this, and it's really touching. So I think that's another aspect of of creating, you know, something that's meaningful is giving it a great visual that people can connect to. I'm really, I'm really struck by how many people identify with the meaning of the song. The song basically alludes to Christmas time, you know, Christmas is past and how magical it was when we were younger and your parents and your grandparents were still here. And, you know, as we get older, we, we lose grandparents, we lose parents, we lose family members, and it makes it a little more um, special to remember those times, you know, because we're, you know, it's times we'll never get back. And again, that's what, that is the evolution of a really great song and a really great songwriter, uh, kudos to Joe, is being able to create a neutrality in your writing so that other people can connect to it. I think there's a lot of artists out there and don't get me wrong, I love 
many artists, but some artists love to, you know, just write about all their boyfriend break up, breakups and things like this. And, you know, it becomes like their thing. And everybody's waiting for them to break up with their next boyfriend so you can hear what their relationship was like and hopefully maybe be able to relate to it. But when you when you open up something and you make it so, like I said, neutral, so people can really, really dig into it emotionally, I think that's when you get something really, really special. And, you know, as an independent artist, it's it's done really, really well. So it just goes to show you that when you can connect emotion, people are looking to connect because we are so disconnected these days. People are looking to connect to something emotionally. I think Joe captured uh, something very special in, in, in this song. In the hope that we will never be apart, forever true, it's Christmas in my How do you weigh your life or your work as an LGBTQ plus country artist with just thinking of yourself as a country artist? It's always been a struggle. I remember when I first record when I recorded the first record, we went to Nashville, you know, and this is back in 2011 when things weren't as progressive as they are today. And for as much as we've progressed, we've regressed lately. Um, so I use the, the term progression very loosely. Um, I knew I had to be true to myself. I am a very honorable person. That's one thing about me. I may not always be right, but I, I always like to do the right thing. And I wanted to be representative to who I was and all the people that don't have the voice I have. And when I say the voice, I don't mean my physical voice. I mean the voice that I would be able to be as a public figure. And... I made a choice back then to, 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 to show the world who I was in my personal life and in my professional life. And it, it certainly changed the, tra the trajectory of how my career has unfolded. Um, I'm not a commercial artist. I don't want to be a commercial artist. I don't want to sound like one, nor do I want to look like one. I think that there's enough of cookie cutter in the music industry and I'm certainly unique um, and interestingly enough through my journey I've been able to touch so many people and um, inspire so many people especially not only let's take the LGBTQ equation out of everything I'm 50 I'm going on 54 years old and I've got the number one independent country song in Canada this week which says a lot so I don't take this stuff lightly <laughs> um and I, I think just, I think what's happened is in the beginning, I kind of went, oh God, what did I do? I'll be honest, you know, because everything changed. A lot of radio stations stopped playing my music. Uh, music Row magazine in Nashville wouldn't give me any more reviews after I came out. So I went from being the Discovery Award of the Month in Music Row magazine with my new record to disappearing completely. But again, I wouldn't trade what I did, I don't think, because I've been able to create somewhat of a legacy for myself that will probably live on and inspire other people for generations to come. So I guess I had one more question for you. And uh, do you, it's a, it's a strange question because, you know, we're having no this. No such thing. All Spread right. it out. <laughs> All right. So we're having this question. It's the 12th of December. And you've got yeah. the number one uh, independent country song in Canada at the moment. And yeah. yet in 18 or 19 days, 
the market for Christmas songs kind of goes away. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, I, I recorded a couple of Christmas songs and Christmas songs live with us for a very long time. And even though in 19 days things might shut down, we need not forget that a 78-year-old woman who recorded a song when she was 13 years old called Rocking Around the Christmas Tree is living with us today at number one on the Billboard chart. I love Brenda Lee. And I'm so happy to see three women that are in their 70s at the top of the Billboard chart. We have three icons, Brenda Lee, Cher, and Dolly, all living in the top 10 in their 70s. You are never too old, and no Christmas song ever gets too old. One thing that gives me hope is the fact that Christmas songs, you know, a, a regular song of Drake's might make an impact and then fade off into relative obscurity. You know, it might be considered an oldie after five or six years. Christmas songs kind of, you know, get rediscovered year after year after year. And hopefully as many people love and like what I've done on this, in this version and what Drake has done, um, that more people every year will rediscover the song. Christmas songs are one of those things when they have meaning and they, again, we're back to that emotional connection because we are so all disconnected. But when you write something that connects really well, like, like, like Joe did, and, and, you know, we've embellished it really well production wise, I think um, those things live for a very, very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Drake Jensen and uh, Joe Grimshaw, thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you. You too, Mitch. This has been really great, and hopefully we'll do this again. And Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Drake Jensen is an independent country musician originally from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. He now lives in the Gatineau area north of Ottawa. His song, Christmas in My Heart, was written by Joe Grimshaw, a graphic designer who lives in Champlain, New York. You can find a link to the video of their song at ncpr.org slash northwards. That wraps up the December edition of Northwards. It's been a terrific 2023 around here, and so much of it is thanks to you. Thanks for listening to Northwards all year and listening to so many of the other things we bring you at NCPR. Here's to a happy, peaceful, and enjoyable year ahead. Digital oversight of this show comes from Ethan Shanty and Bill Hanel. Caitlin Kelly does our social media. Doyle Dean shoots video. Our theme music is by the Whitmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. And I'm Mitch Tyke, your humble host and producer. Happy New Year in advance, and stay tuned for Here and Now, Science Friday, and The Beat Authority, all coming your way next, right here on NCPR. Have a great afternoon. So I can